Well, good evening. We're continuing on in our series called Faith on Film, where we've been looking at uh, these popular films that have come out over the last year, year and a half, and, and use them as metaphors. And they are metaphors. And every metaphor and every analogy, everything at some point breaks down. But it's amazing. It's amazing as we've been walking through all of these films to see so many of the great stories that we, we watch, that we take part in, are based on, on, on the story. They have parts of the story, the story of faith. And so it is with this, this movie, La La Land. This was a movie that I did not watch by choice at all. The previews came out, and as the previews came out, my wife Bridget, she told me, she's like, hey, we, we, we have to watch that show. And the first time she said that, I said yes, because I expected that she would forget that she asked me. So, oh, we should go see that, sh- that show. And I'm like, yeah, sounds good. Mm-mm, not doing it. And then some time went by and she said, yeah, remember that movie La La Land? We need to go and watch that. And I said, I, I am not going to go and watch a musical. I mean, that's great and it's wonderful, not my bag. It's not my thing. And I said, I'm not going to go watch this. If you want to go and you want to find some friends that want to watch that, feel free. And she said, Jeremy, how many times over the course of our marriage have I watched a game of a team that I could care less about? And I said, do you really want me to count? I can't count that high. She said, how many times have I watched all of the Star Wars films in order? Like one to eight. Like how many times have I? And at that point I said, okay, you buy the tickets and I'll show up. Because I realized that that argument for me wasn't going to last very long. But I went to the movie and what I saw was an incredible show. And it blew me out of the water. And so many of the ways that it blew me out of the water, one was the choreography and the music in it. It tells a story. I didn't know it could be like that. I started to sing along this last week. I watched the movie four times because it's not as easy connecting a film to faith as you'd think. So you watch, I have sat in my office watching La La Land. I know, it's a tough job. Somebody has to do it. But the songs are amazing. But one of the things that I love the most about this movie is this movie has a lot to do with this really important question that a lot of us ask ourselves. What's my purpose? Maybe the word purpose doesn't maybe uh, get to it for you. Maybe a better word would be, what what are the dreams that I have in my life? Maybe if you could go in, in, in rewind, or maybe if you could go back one decade, two decades, three decades, four decades, five decades, I don't know many, how many decades you want to go back. If you were to go back to that one place once upon a time in your life where you said, someday I want to, what was it? And are you doing it? And if not, I mean, the question's why? I mean, if I were to fill in that gap and I were to be honest, I would say, when I, someday I'm going, it would be a professional baseball player. Now, the reason I'm not doing that is I'm not good enough. For a lot of us, this question of purpose and our dreams and our aspiration and our goals in life, too often we're not doing them. And we find ourselves spending our days, our hours, our months, our weeks, our years, our lives doing things that don't fill us up. So yeah, but Jeremy, that's kind of of self-centered, isn't it? No, it's not. 
It's not at all. There's no mystery to me the importance of this opening scene of this movie. The opening scene of the movie, uh, the song is called Another Day in the Sun, and it takes place on this interstate, this interstate right outside of the city of Los Angeles. And at the very beginning, there's the first minute of that song was cut off. The very beginning, it's gridlock traffic. I mean, it's literally bumper to bumper. It's a parking lot on the interstate. And everybody is just, you can see the You can see the monotony, you can see the frustration, you can see the boredom, you can see the reality of just saying, I just want to get through this. I just wish that the time would pass, but I'm stuck. And how many times do we feel that way? Not even about a bad thing. Maybe it's where you're going tomorrow morning for work and you, you, you get to work and you sit down or, or you stand up or you do whatever it is that you do and you say, man, I just, I just feel, I feel so stuck. I feel like it's bumper to bumper and I'm not moving an inch in my life. The beauty of the opening scene of this movie is that in, in the middle of a traffic jam, in the middle of when everything is standing still, Joy breaks through. Life breaks through. There is a moment that takes place that people get caught up in the middle of that moment. And as they're doing what they're doing and they're doing it with one another, there is an incredible transformation that takes place. And when you watch it, And maybe you're grumpy and you don't want to admit it, but when you watch that, isn't there a part of you that wished that you could have been a part of it yourself? Oh, I'd love to be able to get up on top of my car and jump and dance and sing and do all of the things. And what if I were to tell you that if we can get to this, that that's what you'll experience in your life. When we can start to to tap into once again the the dreams, the if I could only fill in the blank, if we can get back there, and we can, that joy will break through, that color will burst forth, that life will start to happen in ways that we maybe thought that weren't possible any longer. It starts in the most simple of ways. Some people approached Jesus one time. They said, what's the most important thing, Jesus? If, if, if we were, we were going to prioritize everything that we feel like we ought to do in life, if you were to put them all on a tally sheet and we were to put, rank them from, from most important to least important, Jesus, what, what would be able to get the top billing, the most important thing, if, if there's one thing that we should hone in on, if there's one thing that we should do in order to find our stride in life, if there's one thing that we're to bring the life forth, the color forth, the joy forth, what should we do? And Jesus says, and not because Jesus is somehow uh, regurgitating some... Uh, some statement that he has to. And Jesus isn't saying this because somehow God is a God who is uh, possessive or God is a God who is egocentric. He's saying this because this is what is best for us and this is where it all starts. Jesus says, love God and love others. That's step one. 
You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's the most important thing. Because when we do that, when we do that, we're able to see that everything else that we're living for starts to take its proper place. And all of the things that we want to put under this line, all of those things, we realize that none of those things can replace God for us. No matter how wonderful and no matter how important and no matter how sought after they may be, they can never be God for us. And maybe one of the reasons that we have felt stuck in life is because we've been naming those things as gods. Maybe it's a relationship. That that relationship has taken such precedence in your life that you've pushed everything else aside. You say, well, this is going to be the next and the newest and the greatest thing. And so this relationship is going to be able to define it. It's going to cure everything that's wrong in my life. And you realize that it just can't do it. Or maybe it's your kids. Or your health. Or your job. Or your passions. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because it's what's best for us. It's the only thing that can sustain us. It's the only thing that can carry us. He says, and then, love your neighbor as, as yourself. So you think, well, is that, what does that look like? Just before the, the Bible reading that was read, that Tina read for us this evening, uh, which was taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right before that, uh, it, that letter to the Corinthians is written by a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul's writing to a group of people who have lost their way. They've, they've found themselves in a gridlock in their own right, in their community. And so Paul's writing them a letter trying to help them find their way again, to discover their way again. And so Paul's helping to redefine define the purpose that they have. And so Paul says to them, he says, because of the, the love and the grace that God has for you, because you have a God who's created you, and you don't get to determine whether or not he did, he did. And before you were born, God was at work in your life. And God has plans for you. And those plans can't be canceled. And those plans can't somehow be uh, undone because of the ways in which maybe we feel like we haven't done enough or done the right thing. God has plans, and those plans trump our plans, and those plans are better than our plans. And so Paul says to the people in Corinth, he says, and because of those plans, you're all a part of a body. The body of Christ. And each of you is a vital and an important part of it. Because part of the most important aspect of finding our purpose is to give ourselves the permission to begin to dream again. I mean, most kids, most kids under the age of probably nine or ten, if you ask them what they are good at, 
they won't stop talking. There is no shortage of self-confidence in a seven, eight, or nine-year-old, is there? Then where did we pick it up? Why did, why did we stop? I mean, if at one point in our life, you say, well, that's because they're kids. No, kids see themselves much more purely than we see ourselves. So if at one point in your life, you, you saw yourself and you said, hey, you want to know what I'm good at? How much time do you have? Why do we stop? Because it seems pretty biblical to be able to rediscover it. And one of the most important things to understanding your purpose, put very simply, do what you do. Do what you do. Whatever it is that you do. Because there's not another you. I mean, sometimes I think in order uh, to, to discover our purpose, we think that maybe we have to totally change who we are or, or change what we're good at or, or somehow we have to fit the mold to be more like that person or we have to be able to do those sorts of things. Ah! That isn't giving God credit for the incredible creation that you are. And all you have to do is do what you do. Because you are a part of Christ's body. I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. That without you, without you, this world is at a deficit. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever fool yourself. Don't ever allow yourself to lose sight of how incredibly valuable you truly are. And in order to find your purpose, just say, what, what is it that I do? Another way to, to, to put it, and maybe a better way to be able to understand it is, what gets your heart racing? Where are your greatest passions? And where are your greatest gifts? What comes naturally to you? I mean, there are people that I work alongside that are so good at certain things. And when I look at them, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm almost embarrassed of who I am. Because they can organize certain things or they can rally people together in certain ways. And sometimes I'm like, my goodness, I am deficient as a human being. then I realized that I wasn't called to be them. And what comes most naturally to me, in some strange, and for some strange reason, gets me the most excited. What are your greatest gifts? What do you do just naturally? Like a fish to water. And what do you love to do? It's in the opening uh, scenes of this movie. It's about probably about 20, 25 minutes 
uh, into this movie that two main characters are a woman by the name of Mia and a, a guy by the name of Sebastian. And their paths have kind of crossed a couple times, but now they have this opportunity to have this kind of like penultimate conversation with one another, where they're starting to share their own dreams, their own ideas of what their purpose is. And, and it's very scary, because anytime you share your dream with someone, you know that it can be so easy for them to squash it. But Sebastian and Mia start to share if I could do blank, and they start to begin to share it with one another. What gets you that excited? There's something. He, he literally has to sit on his hands while he's talking because he's going he's gonna to jump out of his skin. She's an aspiring actress. He's an aspiring musician. They both have these, these dreams. But, but as this movie starts to go on, they start to realize that as they pursue their dreams, they're starting to lose themselves. And they start to lose their, their balance. See, as, as we, we do what we do, we have to continue always going back to the first thing. The first thing to allow us that we're, we, we, we love God and we love others. Because when we start doing one uh, without the other, things kind of start to get a little bit chaotic and we, we lose our balance, we lose our ways. We all, we all have found ourselves in that place before. When something kind of totally goes off, off the rails, so to speak, and it becomes so much a part of it that, that we can't see anything else. And sometimes it starts to impact all of the people around us. This is what Paul is writing to in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, you all are a part of Christ's body. You all have a gift, and every gift is essential to the whole. But you've lost something. And Paul says, I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you something that's better than anything else. Let, let me show you a better way. Let me show you a pun definitely intended where you can start to find the harmony again. Where you can get back to a place where, where you start playing your notes in sync with one another. You need to do what you do and you need to do it with love. Because it's not just about you. None of us can forget that. We belong to each other, Paul will say in Romans chapter 12. We're responsible to one another. And when we start doing what we want to do without the, the love, <laughs> well, things get, not only get tricky, but they can get really harmful. they can get so out of sync that sometimes people are hurt by what we're doing. And not just hurt, people, well, they're diminished. Because when we do it with, without love, we become the center of the universe. This is what happens to these two incredible characters. 
But at the beginning, they, they saw each other's dreams. They saw each other's passions. They saw the, the way in which each other wanted to go. And, and at that time, they couldn't have been more for one another. They couldn't have been more behind one another. They couldn't have been more a part of what one another wanted to do. And they'd do anything to support one another. Until what they did was the thing that was driving the wedge between one another. And rather than being a gift, it became a curse. Because it had lost the love. I mean, everything we do, hopefully, everything we do is done with love doesn't mean that it always goes our way. And it doesn't mean that it always gets to be the way that we want it to be. But gifts without love become egotism, self-centered, hurtful, divisive, competitive, As this movie continues to go on, Sebastian and Mia couldn't have grown farther apart. At one point, it seemed like their lives were destined to end up with one another. She's going to casting call after casting call. He's, well, he's starting to follow a different way. And they have this conversation. They have this kind of, for lack of a better term, a come to Jesus moment. It's ultimately going to decide what gets to win. Their will or their love? We have to ask that question. Because if we just do what we do, it becomes about us, not the world around us. This is always tied to community. It always is. This isn't a solo thing that we do on earth. We have a responsibility, it's, and, it's, and it's not always easy. It isn't, and this is exactly why Paul writes his letter to the Corinthians. Let me show you a better way, he says in 1 Corinthians 12. And what follows is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And I hate to break it to you, 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't written for a husband and a wife. 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't written for a wedding ceremony. It's written to people who were in conflict that were doing their own thing without any regard for the world around them. And Paul says, let me, let me tell you a, a better way. You can have the best gifts that the world could ever value. Paul says, if I could speak in the tongues of angels, if I could have the, the language that, that people would be amazed by, but, but if I didn't love, I'd be nothing more than a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. Paul says, I could have the gift of faith that, that could move mountains. And if, and if I didn't love, It'd be useless. I could have the gift of prophecy to be able to speak of all of God's unknown things, but if I didn't love, it'd be useless. 
I could serve the poor with everything that I have. Give away everything. But if I did it without love, it would be for nothing, Paul says. Because the most important thing, the greatest way in which we find our purpose is when we do what we do and we do it with love for the world around us. To ask yourself, God, how can you use me to make this place better? This world better? How can you use me and the gifts and the talents and the ability, and how can you knit those together with the people around us to to make an, an impact, to make a change, not to be a noisy gong or a clashing cymbal, not to stand at a distance and just critique everything around me to be able to give all of my, 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 my wisdom and my intellect and all of my skills and ability and be able to do that in some sort of a silo that doesn't have any impact on anybody else, but do it in a way that makes this world a better place. It's the power of love. Love in its truest sense literally means to give up what you have. So Paul goes on for for the rest of the chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not rude. It doesn't take record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice with evil, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And it endures through every circumstance. It endures through everything. There are going to be peaks and there's going to be valleys. Community and everything that we do, it's hard. But when we start to do it thinking that we're the object that the world revolves around, people get hurt. We get hurt when we lose the love. Nobody wins. If you want to find out what your purpose is, go back to the first thing that we started 30 minutes ago. God, how can you use me and who I am to love you and to love others, to be able to bring joy in the gridlock of their life, to be able to break through with music, dancing, song, and colors in places where that seems impossible. Folks, it's not rocket science. It's about love. It's about seeing people for the value that they have and seeing that sometimes our preferences need to die to give life to the greater good. You ever found yourself in one of those situations where somebody loved you in a way that didn't make sense? Somebody loved you in a way, served you in a way, approached you in a way, reacted to you in a way that after that encounter, it left you thinking, why on earth would they ever do such a thing? It's because of love. It 
gives you the opportunity to do the same thing. Me and Sebastian had gone their own way. They had had one of the greatest fights, the fight that you just saw, the fight that where he reacts in anger and he says, you're an actress, what are you talking about? They say things that they regret, they do things that they regret, and they leave. She says, I'm done with it, I'm out. But his phone rings. And his phone rings with an opportunity that if he doesn't share, she'll miss. And every time I watch this clip, I think to myself, what would I have done? Would it have been my selfish desire to say, hey, she made the bed, she's got she's to lie in it. Would it have been my inclination to say, ha, I'm not getting mine, so she's not going to get hers. What would be my purpose in that situation? Or would I do everything I could to bring the one who is in need what they truly are looking for? Think it was any accident that they started in a traffic jam. Towards the end, they close it with the car that's moving. Can't miss that. Stuck to back on track. Stalled to moving because of love. Not a love that was all about him and not a love that was all about her. But a love says, I'm going to do what I can do with love to the world around me. Why? I'm not saying this is what the movie writers were thinking. This is what Jeremy is thinking. Because that's what Jesus did. Why do we do this? Why do we find our purpose when we start acting like this and when we start to make these things our priorities? Why does it start to make sense? Why do we feel so filled up? Why is it that when we go on a mission trip or a service trip, when we get back, we say, if, if they received half of what they gave me, counted a success. Why? Because it's how you're created. Jesus says, this is my command to you. This is what my, op- this is what, this is what my invitation is for you. To love one another. To love in a way that isn't based on condition, isn't based on feeling, isn't based on behavior, but it's based on their need. Because my love for you, Jesus says, was based on yours. To allow you to dream again. To allow you to say, you know what? At one point, this is what I wanted to be. This is what I was going to do. This was the ill in the world that that broke my heart, so I want to do something about it. And Jesus said, I put you back on your feet, so get after that again. Get after that because that's how I created you. That which is on your heart isn't there by accident. God placed it there. God gave you that passion. God gets you moving in that way where you can have to sit on your hands, not to say something, not to do something, because he's put that passion in you to change the world around you. Folks, it's the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ. It's why we exist as followers, not as a church that meets in a building, but as a movement of people who go out into the world to say, you're stuck. And I know that because I was too. 
but I love you too much to allow you to stay there. So come and follow me as I've been following him. See what happens. Your life will change. Joy will break through even when it seems impossible because love always wins the day because it's how we're created. It's how we've been saved. So as we close with worship this evening, I invite you to stand and to, I'm gonna say a quick prayer as you stand. Quick prayer. I'm gonna leave just a, like a five second gap of silence. I invite you just to think about what's that gap that you would fill in? And what can you do Take the first step forward, let's pray, and then we're gonna worship with one another. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for giving us these dreams, these passions, these gifts. God, not to serve ourselves, but God, to change the world, because you did. God, your word says that we'd go on to do greater things, so we trust that. So God, I ask that you would fill us with those those dreams, those really crazy ideas, again. God, give us faith to see that all things are possible through the love of your son, Jesus Christ, who came, who lived, who died, and who was raised to new life. God, it's in that response that we worship you this evening. And everyone together said, amen.